If you're looking for ways to prioritize your health and fitness, run more efficiently, understand food, and somehow fit it all into a fun and family-centered life, you're in the right place. This is the Real Life Runners Podcast, and we're your hosts, Kevin and Angie Brown. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get running. Thank you so much for joining us on another episode of the Real Life Runners Podcast. We are your hosts, Kevin and Angie Brown, and today we are going to talk about a condition that plagues a lot of runners, and that is knee pain. Oh, knee pain. That is close to my heart. Well, it's a little south of my heart, but um, it's it's an injury that I had to deal with for years. Yeah, and it's an injury that unfortunately a lot of runners do have to deal with, and you know, a lot of people have heard that old adage that running is bad for your knees. Don't you love that one? No, running is not bad for your knees. It gets thrown out there all the time. And there's what? Evidence upon evidence that running is good for all joints. Right. There's actually no evidence right now um, in the literature that shows that running is actually bad for your knees. It's really just one of the biggest excuses you get from non-runners of why they don't want to start. No, 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 it's bad for my knees. Yeah, I've heard it's bad for your knees. Oh, you know, I had a friend, I I get this one all the time, you know, when people find out that I'm a runner, they're like, oh, I, you know, my son was a runner for, and he was a runner for 20 years, and then he ended up with arthritis. And I think to myself, well, he probably would have ended up with arthritis anyway, and the running actually probably even helped to prolong the onset of the arthritis. (laughs) Is it pushed the arthritis by like 10 years? Right. (laughs) fine. Like he probably would have had it anyway. It's not bad for you. I mean, there has been multiple research studies out there that has shown that running is actually very good for your knees and your joints because it helps to lubricate the joints. It helps to strengthen the bones, any sort of weight bearing activity. So anytime that you're on your feet, putting weight on the ground is good for your bones, especially with women that um, have the possibility to suffer from osteoporosis and other things like the impact of running is very good for you when done correctly and when done with strong muscles. It's like the actual difference between like being up on, on an elliptical versus running, like the impact of, of the exercise really matters? Absolutely, yeah. Because the impact, every time your foot hits the ground with impact, that's sending a force up into your body, into your leg, your you know, your foot, your knee, your everything. And so every time you get that impact, your bones are absorbing that impact as well as your muscles and your tendons and everything else. But when you place a force onto your muscle or your bone, your body has to respond to that force. And if your bones or muscles are too weak, then that can lead to injury. If by putting, you know, those loads on your bones um, repetitively, you're actually forcing your bones to get stronger and to adapt to those forces that you're placing on them. All right, that sounds good. So the the question is, where did this come from that running hurts your hurts your knees? Because I know once I made it out of high school and my shin pain kind of went away, uh, the knee pain popped up. So 
where does it come from? There seems it, it's like there's always some issue going on with knees. Right. And and there is. And, and like we said at the beginning, knee pain, unfortunately, is something that does plague a lot of runners and it can be caused by a lot of different conditions. So um, today's episode is a little medical. It's a little technical. So um, we're going to go through today and just talk about some common causes for knee pain. Um, you know, keep in mind, you can you know, listen to this information and see if it might match up to something you've experienced before. But for a true diagnosis, go see a medical professional. Okay. So we're just kind of informing again, not diagnosing anything here. So the most common pain, um, knee pain experienced by runners is what's called patellofemoral syndrome. And that um, is what can also be known as runner's knee or jumper's knee. And um, I know Kevin has had some experience with this before. Yeah, everybody likes to call it runner's knee because patellofemoral syndrome just is way too hard to say. So we just say runner's knee, and that leads to the issue of, oh, that means runners have bad knees. Right. And it's not. It's just, it's a common injury that shows up, and it's a great way of, of saying there's pain somewhere in and around the knee. Right. Because the, the kneecap, specifically. Yes, somewhere in and around the kneecap. If you can't quite pinpoint where it is, it's sort of like, it's it's under, it's on the inside or outside, it's like behind, it's somewhere in there, that's probably patellar femoral syndrome. It doesn't have a, a very specific spot. It, it can show up under or the side or almost like behind the kneecap. Right. And so it's kind of a general term that a lot of people use to just describe pain around the kneecap. And um, other forms of pain that can be in and around the kneecap include um, chondromalacia patella, which is a fun word that you can use at your next holiday party. Um, chondromalacia is means that there, so in the body there is cartilage in different joints and there is a layer of cartilage on the underside of your kneecap. And when that cartilage starts to fray um, and break down, that's what's considered chondromalacia. And so every time you straighten and bend your knee, your kneecap slides um, either up or down. And so if the cartilage is frayed, sometimes that cartilage can kind of catch a little or it can cause like a grinding. And that's what can cause the pain in that condition. I felt this before where you go to stand up and it's not like you stand up and your knee clicks like that just happens sometimes. I don't know. I mean, you can probably give me an answer as to why that happens, but it's the feeling that, that the kneecap actually catches and doesn't want to slide along the foot or along the, the, the um, femur, the femur. Thank you. I knew it was an F word in there, the <laughs> femur. And, uh, it, it literally just kind of sits where it goes. Um, I, I messed with this one by like, when you sit there, you can actually just kind of move your kneecap around and that helps it. So it doesn't get caught. Um, kind of, I mean, it can, but that you don't want to move it around too much because some people actually have hypermobility of their kneecap, which means too much motion. And that is actually one of the um, causes of this condition, because if your kneecap isn't stable and it's moving around too much, that can lead to that fraying of that underside of the cartilage. Oh, cool. So all that time I was sitting there, moving my kneecap along was not helpful at all. Not necessarily. No, because if, if you have a kneecap that doesn't move enough, then mobilizing your kneecap and kind of playing with it like that is a, is a helpful thing. Oh, and perfect. also 
<laughs> and also if you have, you know, different structures on the inside of the knee or the outside of the knee that might be tight, that could be causing the kneecap to pull over to one side or the other. And then it's not tracking where it should because there's a little groove in your femur at the, at the bottom end of your femur, which is your thigh bone. There's a little groove that your kneecap kind of sits in and, and glides in. And so if it's not sitting right in that groove, it, it's actually grinding over your femur every time you bend and straighten your knee. That sounds incredibly uncomfortable. Right. I know that groove. It's, I draw it every time I draw a skeleton for the girls. There you go. It's right at the bottom of the leg bone. It kind of makes that little like dip there. The kneecap actually slides up and down on that thing. Yeah. Perfect. Right. And so um, another common condition for, for pain in and around the kneecap is tendonitis in either your quadricep tendon or your patellar tendon, which is actually the same tendon. It just has two different names just based on if the area is above the kneecap or below the kneecap because your quadricep muscle is the are the muscles on the front of your thigh and there's four muscles and they all kind of um, converge near your kneecap and they form one thick tendon so the area above the kneecap is your quadriceps tendon and then that tendon kind of crosses over the top of the kneecap and inserts down onto your tibia like at, on your shin bone there's like a bump um, right below your kneecap that's where it actually inserts. And so that area below the kneecap is considered your patellar tendon. I've had so much pain right on that spot. And everyone likes to point, they're like, oh no, it's on my shin. So that's got to be a problem with my shin. And they start stretching their calves more. And if it's way up at the top of the shin, it's not a shin issue. That's an issue with that tendon. Right. It can be. Um, so the difference between the tendonitis and like the chondromalacia or the just general term, you know, patellofemoral syndrome, which is kind of, like I said, a catch-all term. Um, if you have your knee in a straight position and you just contract the muscle, um, just the muscle contraction itself, if it's a tendonite, a true tendonitis, you know, where you have inflammation of the tendon, just contracting that muscle in a neutral position is probably going to hurt. But when you, if your leg is out straight and you just squeeze your, your quadricep muscle, your, your kneecap isn't actually moving at all. So it wouldn't really bother you if you had chondromalacia because the chondromalacia, it, the, the kneecap's not moving. So it's not grinding or, you know, none of that cartilage can be catching um, because the kneecap isn't moving. But you're still um, contracting the muscle, which attaches to the tendon. So if that tendon is inflamed, it can still cause pain. Does that make sense? All right. So if it's tendonitis, sitting like sitting on a couch with your leg out and squeezing your quads will hurt around your knee. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe not. Right. That's the fun of diagnosing, right? Will probably hurt around your knee because there's itis and that means inflamed. And so that's an ouch. And if... If that doesn't hurt, but it hurts when you like walk or run or your knees are bending constantly, then that could come from, well, let's just throw it to the giant catch-all of runner's knee because your kneecap is probably not tracking correctly. How'd I do? Not bad. Okay. Um, But like I said, you know, this is different for everybody. These are just general, you know, general guidelines. Um, There's also a fat pad right in that area as well, which is just like literally a little piece of fatty tissue that's under your patellar tendon. Um, and sometimes that fat pad can get inflamed as well. So it might not be an issue with the tendon itself and it might not be an issue with the kneecap. It, it could just be the fat pad could be inflamed. That sounds like a fun add-on. Maybe it's just that or perhaps... Or bursitis. Or bursitis. Right. And uh, you mm-hmm. can tell that, I mean, is 
So those structures usually are irritated, like if you're kneeling on it, um, but but kneeling could also, you know, be painful if you have chondromalacia or runner's knee, you know, or <laughs> so it's like, you know, sometimes it can be hard to tell what is actually causing the pain here. I'm really looking forward to the part where we try and fix this okay. because diagnosing seems really, really complicated because right. it, it could Well, and that's be- why a lot of times di- the diagnosis is actually incorrect. Right, because you just kind of try and treat several of them and hope Mm -hmm. that you you catch the right one. Is that kind of the issue? Kind of. Unless unless there's something so seriously wrong with your knee that someone's got to go in with like a a scalpel. Surgical, right. Yeah, I mean, there's... there's very specific protocols after surgery, clearly. Okay. But if you're just generalized knee pain, a lot of the times it kind of falls into the same rehab category. Like there are some things that you do a little bit differently, but a lot of times you're going to do a lot of the same things just based on the fact that you have knee pain. And we're going to get into those in a little bit. So just a couple more um, possible causes of knee pain. Another one would be just osteoarthritis. Okay. That's just the wear and tear of the joint, which does tend to increase as we get older. Um, and that is just a generalized pain in the knee. Like a lot of times people, again, can't pinpoint it, but it's more than just the kneecap. It's not usually just the kneecap. It's kind of the whole knee joint itself. And does that one hurt all the time or that one hurts when the knee's bending or during activity? What are we talking about on that one? Um, most, I mean, it can hurt all the time, but tip, the typical arthritis pain pattern is it hurts in the morning when you wake up because your body's very stiff and then the pain actually kind of gets a little bit better throughout the day, except if you're doing a lot of stairs or things like that. And then it, get, it gets worse again at night because you've been on your knees all day and you know by the end of the day, your joint is just tired and sore. All right. So that makes sense. Um, I see another one on the list here is uh, IT syndrome, ITB syndrome. Mm-hmm. So that's tightness of the IT band on the outside of the thighs. Right. So your IT band runs from the outside of your hip all the way down to below your the outside of your knee. It's like a, a big band of fascia going down the outside, the outer thigh. So pain can show up kind of anywhere in the IT band if you have this, this problem, but, um, we're focusing on, on knees today. So most of the time, if the pain is on the outside of the knee, um, and it can be like a little above the knee, like right along the knee joint or a little bit even below the knee, um, it it can present itself anywhere along that lateral side of the knee, which is the, the outside of the knee. Yeah, this one seems to show up a lot with uh, with our high school kids, specifically with our high school girls right. who are developing hips, and then the outside of their leg gets all weird and tight, and it's like, oh, well, you have to stretch the IT band, and suddenly that pain just goes away. But it, it shows up every time. You're like, oh, well, you grew hips in the last four months, and now your knee hurts. Yes. Yes. It, it does tend to be a little bit more prevalent in females because of the wider pelvises and the, and the changes in the angles of of the the hip and the knee in relation to each other. All right, what's next? A meniscus injury. That sounds pretty precise. How how are we diagnosing this guy? Okay, so meniscus injuries are less common in runners. Um, Usually you see more meniscus injuries in people that play contact sports or team sports, especially with a lot of um, running where you have to stop and cut and change directions like soccer or basketball or volleyball. You know, you see a lot of meniscus injuries in those sports. You see it less in running. No, you see this in runners who also have that one random pickup game of basketball with their coworkers where they've only done straight line motion for the last like two and a half years. And they're like, ah, I can play basketball. I'm in shape. And they have to go sideways. Yes. There you go. So the meniscus is a 
basically a circular disc of cartilage. There's a an ins- there's two menisci in the knee, one on the inside of the knee and one on the outside of the knee. And basically they're they're just these the cartilage in between the femur and the tibia and it just helps to cushion the knee joint. So that can sometimes get torn and can, and can cause pain. And usually with a meniscal injury, you'll have pain on the actual joint line of the knee where the femur and the meniscus, or I'm sorry, yeah, where the femur and the tibia meet and the meniscus is. Like usually you have very like pinpoint tenderness. If you kind of um, touch along where that area, you'll feel pain right along that joint line. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you're very, looking at a pretty precise, like you're going to have a pretty good idea of whether it's a meniscus injury. Right. And you have a lot of the general, like and you have a lot there. of pain with twisting and things like that. Um, or like getting out of your car. A lot of times people will have a lot of pain, like when they put all their pressure and weight down on that knee and kind of get out, you know, to get up out of the car. Yeah. Cause you're twisting while you're doing that. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that would definitely hurt. Yeah. Um, all right, so, you got another one on here called plica syndrome. I've never even heard of this one. Right, <laughs> a lot of people haven't. So the plica is basically excess tissue in the knee that is there from back when we were embryos, and it creates these little folds of the um, tissue in the knee and the, the fascia. So those plica can sometimes get irritated, and the Typical times that we see this is kind of when pa- people have pain on like the um, upper inner corner of the kneecap. Does that make sense? Do you, do you know where I'm talking about yeah. it when I say uh, that? Upper inner corner. And that one's, it, again, you've hit a very precise location. So it seems like this one might be easier to point to. It's probably that. Right. Or like the medial border, which is like the inside border of the kneecap. Like that's typically the plica that tends to get irritated. I mean, it's all over the kneecap. It's all, c- c- because it's, you know, it's been there since you were an embryo and it has different folds and whatnot. But the, typically when we see it in the clinic, that's usually where we see it. All right. So we've got IT that hits the outside. We've got meniscal that hits this line right in the middle. And we've got plica that hits the inside. And then we've got the kneecap, all the all the five different things that can be the kneecap. Pain. Of course. Right. <laughs> okay. And we've got Baker's cyst. Right. So the baker, a Baker's cyst is also a very specific pain. That tends to be pain that's like in the hollow of the knee, in the back of the knee. Like there's not a lot of conditions that cause a lot of pain in the back of the knee, um, especially with running. But a Baker's cyst is essentially a form. It's a cyst. It's a, you know, a piece of soft tissue that is formed inside the joint that um, causes pain in the back of the knee. I mean, it's, it's pretty specific. It, it's very, if, if someone comes to me with pain right there in the back of the knee where there's really no soft tissue structures, like in that little hollow area, it's very likely a Baker cyst. All right. So we got that one. And finally on the list, we've got hamstring tendonitis. Right. And so again, that's also pain usually behind the knee because your hamstring tendons um, are on the inside and outside of the knee on the backside. So your, your hamstrings are the muscles in the back of your thigh and they come down and attach below the knee um, below the knee joint um, on the tibia and on the fibula. So there's like, you know, those kind of like rope-like tendons on the inside and outside of your knee. Yeah, they're the two guitar strings on the back of your leg. Exactly. Those are your hamstring tendons. So if you have pain in those areas, I mean, it's it's likely tendonitis or even a tendinosis. Perfect. So you got tendonitis if you're hitting the actual like ropes behind your knee and you got Baker's cyst if you're hitting the hollow behind your knee.
All right. Hopefully, we haven't lost everybody on uh, on the list of all of the possible diagnoses. Most of the possible diagnoses. Sorry, not not even a full and complete no, one. Not all of them, but, but the most, most common ones. Yeah, the most common ones that affect runners. All right. So, moving into the possible causes of these conditions, uh, one of the biggest ones out there has got to simply be overuse. And this is again going back to the oh, well, you run, you have bad knees. No, it's it's improper overuse. Right. It's that repetitive stress of running because. Because one thing to keep in mind is that every step that you take while you run, you're putting at least two and a half times your body weight down on that um, joint, you know, all the joints of, of that leg. So that repetitive stress and just overuse can lead to injury over time if you don't have the muscle strength in the rest of the body to absorb that forces in the correct way. Right. This is the difference between going for a walk and going for a run. When you walk, like by definition, both feet are on the ground. This is why I love watching race walking in the Olympics because they try and keep both feet on the oh ground God, at all times. One of my favorite things to watch, seriously. <laughs> but, but that's the rule is both feet have to go on the ground at all times. Your running means that at some point in time, both like you go from one foot to the other foot and you're briefly have no feet on the ground. You're essentially jumping continuously for the entire time. Exactly. And that's something very important to to think about is that you're essentially running is essentially jumping from one leg to the other and you have to have muscles that are strong enough to um, compensate for that basically so if you are doing improper training like ramping up your mileage too fast and you're not doing any strengthening exercises you know you might you might get hurt yeah ramping your mileage too fast is one ramping your intensity too fast is another or, and this one's the big one, especially as people train like gear up for marathons and stuff like that, is ramping mileage and intensity simultaneously. That is a huge one. I know I have been guilty of that one myself. It, it, there's the 10% rule, like you can increase your mileage 10%. You can, but you can't increase your mileage 10% and throw a whole bunch more intensity at it. It's, it's bound to cause issues. Yeah, definitely. And we can also talk about training surfaces and footwear um, when we talk about the causes of, of these um, conditions. So training surfaces, you know, if you're training a lot on very hard surfaces, like it's always good to kind of vary what you're running on. It's good to, you know, run on sidewalk, on asphalt, on natural ground, on the track. Like there's so many different surfaces and all of these different surfaces have different levels of hardness, essentially. Yeah, I mean, I've heard over and over that the sidewalk is like the worst thing that you could possibly run on, but then it has benefits because it's a smooth surface. You know, dirt trails and, and that would be the best thing that you could run on, but it also has uneven surfaces. You could twist something and land funny. So there's benefits going both directions. How about a treadmill? Why don't I just go on that? That seems smooth and then the machine itself is built to have some cushioning to it. Well, that's great, but if the treadmill hasn't been taken care of, the belt actually slips as you land and that causes issues. There's issues and benefits with every surface. Try some variety. That's your best bet. Absolutely. Um, the type of footwear that you're wearing also can lead to injury. If you are wearing improper footwear, if you are wearing shoes that um, are not meant for your kind of foot and that don't give you enough support, or even a shoe that gives you too much support, because that has happened. That actually happened to me before I learned more and before I got put into the right shoe. I was in a shoe that had too much support, and I have a neutral foot strike, and I was put into a supportive shoe that was meant for people that pronate, and it actually caused an IT band problem in me. And as soon as I fixed my footwear, my IT band problem went away. 
I've had this issue of shoes that just, they're literally too bulky of a shoe. Um, you know, without getting too technical, there's how high the heel is versus how high the toe is. And, and that drop can change the way that your foot lands. And it's kind of like changing the surface that you're running on having, having different shoes, especially if you start going very high mileage, having a couple different shoes is, is a nice benefit because that helps vary the way that your foot lands and that helps strengthen different muscles along the way. Yes. And so if you've been listening, you've um, probably heard a theme that we've been talking about, and that is strengthening and weakness. So, I mean, ultimately, there's all these different things that can cause knee pain, but the number one cause in my opinion, as a physical therapist, is weakness somewhere. It's and it's most likely your hips. It could be your feet. It could be you know the the muscles around your knee. But most likely, it's it's a weakness in the hips and the core that's not that aren't stabilizing your hips properly. So when we run, like we said before, you're essentially jumping from one foot to the other. And if your hips and your core are not strong, there's a lot of excess motion that goes on and that that excess motion places strain all over the body but especially on the knees and that essentially can just lead to that repetitive stress and that overuse and lead to pain because of the weakness that you've got in those areas I mean the the weak hips and glutes and everything that was that was your diagnosis with me that fixed a knee injury that I'd basically had off and on for what, five, six years or a something lot, like that? Yeah. And you were like, well, you need to strengthen this. And I, I started doing the key exercises and poof, knee pain went away. Yeah, that was amazing. So treating knee pain. Now now we get to the good stuff, okay? This is probably what you've been hanging around for. So how do you treat knee pain? If, if you have knee pain, what do you do about it, right? So when you start having pain, there's essentially two two main phases. There's an acute phase, which is the air, the um, span of time right after you have an injury. And then there's the chronic phase, you know, which is later down the road. So that acute phase can last, really, it's 24 to 72 hours. It could be about a week or so. After that, you start getting into more of the chronic phase. But during that acute phase, if, if you start having pain, put some ice on it, please. Like, I know I'm really bad about it too, but just start icing it. That's one of the best things you can do to just try to control whatever inflammation is starting to occur in your knee. Right. And almost every single diagnosis you threw at the po- at the top of this uh, podcast here, itis showed up somewhere. You want to get rid of inflammation, make it cold. That's really just a, a great way of going at it. And it seems like, oh, but that's such a such an easy trick. Yes, but most people don't bother doing it. Like just stop what you're doing and take care of your knee, put some ice onto it. Okay, so besides throwing some ice on it and trying to make it feel better that way, let's also figure out how you actually need to train properly so that it's not showing up, that that you're taking care of your knees. You can't just start running more and more mileage every single day and every week. You can't do that and then throw speed and then, oh, I've got to get my long run in on the weekend and I should do these, I should do strides and you can't do everything at once. You have to slowly build and add to your workouts. If you try and throw all sorts of new things at your body, it's going to break down. There's, you, if you have like a, a goal out there, like, oh, well, I've got to get to this marathon. You, you do, and you can. Just take it easy. Running and training is a slow growth process. Right. So that goes back to the periodization idea, right? And having different training cycles in your training plan. 
Right. There's generally the, the base building time and then there's time to throw some more speed at it and tapering down so that your, your emphasis on easy and longer runs and your emphasis on speed are in two different parts of your training. That way you, you're not likely to overdo too much. Uh, on, on both of them simultaneously. Right. And then kind of along that same line, know when you need a rest day. You know, if, if you start feeling some knee pain or some this pain or some that pain, you know, so if something starts to kind of crop up, take, take a rest day and see if it goes away. You know, because if you just continue, if something starts to hurt and you just keep pushing and pushing and pushing, something little could turn into something big really quickly. So taking one rest day early, early on, a, you know, on the onset of pain can really do a world, make, make a world of difference in your overall running rehab. Yeah. I mean, if, if you've got a training plan sitting out there and it says that you're supposed to get five and it's like, oh, well, I'm still 10 weeks away from my goal race. Yeah. Take that day off, put some more ice onto your knee and make that problem go away before it becomes something. Because trying to run through pain for two and a half months means you might not make it to the starting line. Uh, if you make it there, you're going to be in so much pain. You're not going to run through this. Take care of your knee so that you can actually get to, to your goal race. Yeah, I was talking to a friend this morning who's been having some knee pain for a little bit here, and she is tra- following a, a training plan. And I think that the it sounds like the, the plan just kind of started ramping up her mileage a little too quickly. And she was telling me that she had like you know, she was supposed to do like eight and a half the other day and she only ended up doing seven because she knew that it just, you know, eight and a half wasn't a good idea. And so I was so happy that she actually listened to her body and she didn't just push, you know, that eight and a half just to get it because it was on her plan. Like she stopped, she listened to her body. She only did seven and then she went home and, you know, took an Epsom salt bath and put some ice on her knee and and actually took care. And so listening to your body and taking those rest days or cutting down your training, you know, at the onset of pain is so important for it not to turn into a chronic issue. All right. One of the other things that we keep bringing up here is the muscle weakness. So how do you know what muscles are actually weak? Yeah. So, I mean, that's the trick is really identifying the source of the weakness or the source of the tightness. You know, there's an imbalance somewhere in the body. That's basically what pain is telling you. If you have pain somewhere, your body is telling you that it's out of whack. It's out of balance somewhere. You know, either one side is tighter than the other, one muscle is weaker than the other. There's there's an imbalance somewhere that you need to fix, okay? And identifying that imbalance is the absolute key to fixing the pain in your knee. So number one, I mean, my recommendation is, is always going to be, you know, go see a medical professional. Like go see a good physical therapist that will actually do a biomechanical assessment on you. You know, some people, some doctors out there, you'll, you'll go to see a doctor and they won't even touch you. You know, they'll just, and I know that a lot of times I can diagnose, not not diagnose someone, but a lot of times I can kind of know what's going on with someone just based on listening to their symptoms. But you actually also need to, you know, do a, do an assessment and figure out, you know, which muscles are weak, what muscles are tight, what exactly is going on. So find a good physical therapist, preferably one that works with runners, and go see that person to, to get a full and accurate assessment. What if you don't have that physical therapist? What if you're not sure who to go see? Is there anything that I can actually do myself that's going to help me figure out where I've got the the imbalance? Okay, so there is um, a a test that you can do at home. Um, It's 
basically standing on one leg. Okay. So what I would suggest um, you to do would be to take your iPhone or whatever, you know, phone you're using or a video camera and set it up to actually video yourself. So basically what you're going to do is just stand on one leg. So start with your left leg, stand on one leg for 30 seconds, and then you're going to stand on your right leg for 30 seconds. And then you're going to go back to your left leg and you're going to stand on your left leg for 30 seconds, but this time you're going to close your eyes, okay? And then you're going to go back and just stand on your right leg for 30 seconds with your eyes closed. And you're, so it's, the, the total test takes two minutes and you're videotaping yourself on your phone, um, to kind of see what's going on. So basically, after you finish the test, you're going to obviously stop the video and then you're going to go back and watch it. And what you want to look at is, how do you look while you're standing on one leg? How stable are you? Are you just standing there, you know, cool as a clam, not moving at all, totally stable? Or are you wobbling all over the place? You know, is your ankle wobbling like crazy? Are your hips kind of flying out to the side? Are, do you need your arms to try to help you maintain that balance? And how does that change when you're, from when your eyes are open to when your eyes are closed? So all of these things will kind of give you an indication of how how much stability you have and where you might be weak. I was so good at this test. I was standing there on one foot and I'm like, I've got this. I'm totally balanced. And I went to the other foot. I'm like, I've got this. I'm good. And then you said, okay, cool. Now close your eyes. I almost fell over. <laughs> Like, oh, wait, that maybe I'm lacking some stability in these key muscles. Oops, I'm falling. Right. So basically, when you close your eyes, you take the vision out of um, your body's ability to balance itself. Your body uses three main systems to, to provide balance, and one of them is your vision. So when you take that out, you have to basically force your body just to feel the ground underneath you. So when you watch the video, and if you notice that you're kind of all over the place, if you're you know falling over or losing your balance or your hips are moving like crazy, most likely your hips are weak, okay? Because it's your hips job to stabilize your body while you're standing there. It's actually, you know, it's a combination of your ankle and your hips. Your ankle is your first line of defense. And, and then once your ankle isn't able to compensate anymore, then it goes up to your hips. But if you notice that like your hips are dropping on one side versus the other, that's an indication of hip weakness. Um, and so a lot of times these problems do come from weakness in your hips. So um, if you want to go back to episode number three, there's a lot of really great exercises that we talk about in strength training for runners, episode number three. Um, but you're going to want to strengthen your glutes and um, your gluteus medius and your core. You know, you want to focus on all those muscles of the core and the hips to get those stronger, to improve your stability when you're jumping from one leg to an other, to the other during running. I, I, I really like this test. I also like that I've been standing here basically since we started talking it um, on one leg and trying to go back and forth. My foot wobbles on the ground quite a bit, and I feel like it, a lot of it's in, in the ankles. But I want to cover something that you kind of went through quickly there of make sure that your hip doesn't drop. This is one of the biggest signs that you've got the weakness on the one side is as soon as you go to pick one foot up off the ground, are your hips completely out of whack? So when I do this test, I like to put my hands right on top of my hips so I can actually see where they are. So it either, you know, make sure that you're wearing, you've kind of lifted your shirt up so that you can see your hips or put your hands right on top of your hip bones so you can see that they're staying at the same level as you do the test. Yes. Thank you very much for pointing that out because that is 
absolutely crucial. And I know that I'm I'm kind of talking quickly here because I feel like there's a lot of information that I'm trying to relay, but that's really what it comes down to is make sure your hips are level when you're doing that test so you can identify whether or not you have a hip and core weakness present. Um, another thing would be tightness, okay? So you, you know like if your hip flexors are tight or if your hamstrings are tight and, you know, maybe you're super flexible in your hamstrings but your hip flexors are really tight. That's an imbalance, okay? You have an imbalance in the front of your leg versus the back of your leg. So that's something that you're going to want to address. If you've got super flexible hamstrings but super tight hip flexors, you're going to want to stretch out the hip flexors and you're going to want to strengthen up the hamstrings most likely to try to rebalance the front and the back. Yeah, because there's all those runners out there who have super, super flexible hamstrings. I do. <laughs> I I am the opposite. You know, can you bend over and touch your toes? I can bend over and maybe touch my knees yeah. is roughly where I'm at. <laughs> Uh, that's not the the imbalance there, but my quads are fairly flexible. Like I can do that, like standard pull your foot back behind you. I can do that pretty well, but my hamstrings are super super tight. And as long I can deal with tight, so that's your imbalance, right? But I can deal with tight hamstrings as long as my quads aren't super flexible. So I work on trying to get my hamstrings a little bit better, but I also never ever stretch my quads and, ever. Right, exactly. And that's that's the key is you like you know you need to keep those in balance. So if you overstretch your quads and you're not stretching your hamstrings, then you're going to create more of an imbalance in the body. Right. I used to do this because I'm like, oh, well, I'm good at this stretch, so I'll do that one. And I've, I've had to stop because it's already flexible. Let it be. Yeah. So um, one more thing that I just want to point out is to kind of um, try to figure out how to assess your posture and your form while you're running. So the best way to do this would to be to have someone video you while you're running. You know, you can do it on a treadmill, but, you know, keep in mind that treadmill running is different than, you know, how you actually look when you're on the ground running outside. Um, so if you can have someone videotape you while you're outside running, and then if you could even replay it in slow motion, that's one of the best ways you can kind of see where imbalances might exist. You know, are you not lifting your knee enough? Are you not kicking your leg back enough? There's so many different things that you can do to tweak your running form to, um, um, to help make it more efficient and help to put less strain on your knee joint while you're running. All right, let's make sure that we focus on this one as a long-term solution because when you first start making any sorts of change to your running form, it's going to feel unnatural, it's not going to improve your efficiency, and it's going to feel it's just going to feel weird. But long-term, if you take the long view, it will help improve your overall stride, your overall efficiency. It's just, it's not going to improve tomorrow. It's going to improve, I don't know, over the course of probably six to 12 months. Yeah. And so... Um, just a couple other things to keep in mind, you know, when you're, when you're dealing with knee pain, mobility is very important, which is, you know, the flexibility of your muscles and also, um, how much motion you have in your joints. You know, a lot of times if you have a limitation in your ankle joint and you don't have enough, um, dorsiflexion, which is when your, your foot comes up towards your, towards your face, um, versus plantar flexion, which is when you're, you know, pointing your toes. Um, if, if you're limited in, in those motions, it can lead to more strain on the knee as well. So you need enough mobility in your ankle joint. You don't need excess mobility, but you need enough, you know, and you, same thing with the hips. You need enough mobility in your hips so that you're not placing excess strain on your knee. 
Okay, so that's a, an awful lot of information. We came up with all sorts of different possible diagnoses, but it ultimately came down to uh, there's probably some sort of imbalance or weakness or tightness somewhere in the body. Okay, so when you're trying to figure out what's going on, the single leg test is a great way. Also, just feeling your body, especially after a really long or hard run, if one side of the body doesn't feel good, left versus right or front versus back, if something doesn't feel good, that's probably your weak spot. So that lets you know where, where you need to do some extra strengthening work. Also, take a look at your shoes. Make sure that those are, are appropriate for you. Take a look at your training plan and make sure that it's not overly aggressive. And not just that the, your shoes are appropriate, but that your shoes still have life in them. That's another thing we forgot to mention. You know, running shoes typically last 300 to 500 miles. And after that, you know, the foam starts to break down and that can lead to knee pain. I know that's, that's usually one of the, one of your indicators that it's time for new shoes. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I am terrible at tracking how many miles I have on my shoes because I just know, oh, when it starts to hurt on the bottom inside of my right knee that I need to go order another pair of shoes. <laughs> and that's, that's what <laughs> training for 20 years has done for you. <laughs> so ultimately, you know, find out where there's an imbalance in the body and then start to do things to address that, whether that is to strengthen those muscles or to stretch those muscles, you know, you, you have to do something to address that imbalance. All right. So if you're looking for some help in how to address these imbalances or how to make sure your training is, is going well, we have the membership site for you, our premium membership site at realliferunners.com. And in there is this uh, voluminous set of of running related exercises luminous i like it the the list of exercises that angie has in there is is quite impressive there is training programs that are not overly aggressive that'll help uh get you to your goal out there um you know we've got you, you can go with customized training plans the plans that are in there there's a huge set of exercises there's lots of benefits to the plan yeah and we've actually got a lot of things planned um, for the next couple of months that we're going to be adding into that membership site too so I'm going to be putting together programs that are um, kind of generalized treatment programs for um, like plantar fasciitis or knee pain and things like that and and actually picking out uh, you know several of the what I consider to be the best um, exercises and stretches to do for certain conditions. So, you know, if you're having like a little thing here or there, a little niggle, then you can kind of go in and start doing this handful of exercises and, you know, hopefully try to knock it out really early on. All right. And right here at the end of the year, don't we have a special for our podcast listeners for the membership site? Oh, we do. So if you go to realliferunners.com and um, join our premium membership program, um, if you use the code podcast when you check out, you'll get 10% off your first month. And you'll also get a free four-week customized training program that Kevin will design right for you. And um, we'll add in you know, all of your exercises to get you from where you are right now to wherever you want to be in four weeks. And that'll include, you know, the, all the exercise library that we have for you as well, so that you can start to incorporate some of those strengthening exercises, stretching and mobility, foam rolling, all of that stuff is already on that on the site for you. All right. So really, as we hit the end of the year here, let's uh, let's look forward to 2018 and make that as healthy and, and happy and, and running filled year as we all possibly can. Absolutely. So 
Thank you guys for joining us on another episode of the Real Life Runners podcast. We hope you have an awesome week ahead of you. Go out and get some good running in, do some mobility and strengthening work, and we'll see y'all next week.